welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we welcome Sarah Schonauer to the podcast virtually. She's the director of the lighting design studio at Canon Design that has nine people from coast to coast in the United States. With 15 years of experience, Sarah is passionate about light, to say the least. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. How are things going? Hey, Sam. It's great to be here. Thanks. I appreciate you joining me from Boston. It's just always makes me happy when we can use technology to our advantage these days. I know we got to do a little troubleshooting uh, this morning because I forgot to send you a cable. I'm sorry about that, but I'm glad we got the details ironed out. Problem solving is our life, right, Sam? Yeah. You went to Penn State. I went to CU. We were engineers and that's pretty much what we did, right? We learned how to solve problems. That's exactly what I had to explain what engineering was to a six-year-old recently. And basically it was like problem solving with math and science. I think that's how we could maybe break it down in a real basic way. Yeah, totally. I don't really miss differential equations. Do you? I never liked them. So there was nothing to miss. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Sarah, I've gotten the chance to know you a little bit. You were part of the recent documentary that LightEye put together, LD2020, which by the way, has been watched almost like 4,000 times around the world at this point. For those folks out there listening, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Sarah has some awesome remarks in that. It's a documentary about lighting design. But, you know, with that, Sarah, tell us a little bit more about you. Who are you? How did you get your start in lighting? That is an interesting question. I mean, I always say that my mom was probably the inspiration. I I probably was going to be a treehouse architect left to my own devices. (laughs) And uh, she encouraged me to maybe be a little more professional about that and said, hey, architectural engineering is a thing. Got there. Thought I'd study structures. Realized gravity was a thing. Realized redundancy in daylight might be a better thing. And no, I'm just kidding. There was a moment actually in a lighting class where if I can remember correctly, I think it was discussing the differences between ceramic metal halide and CFLs and incandescents and LEDs. And when we saw the color rendering index demonstration on four different swatches of the same color, fabric, template, and everything, and it all looked different, I was like, this is magic. There's magic happening in front of my eyes right now. And I wanted to learn more about it. That was the moment. So you feel like there was magic in front of your eyes. I've heard a few lighting designers around the country say lighting is magic or we make magic around here. Define what magic is to you and how you made that correlation between some intrinsic light source literally doing something that you all of a sudden had an awareness about for the first time. And you kind of just nailed it. It's this idea of being taken out of your present moment for a second and being presented in an alternate reality. And going, wait a minute, that's actually happening in my reality. How do those things match up? And having that minute where your brain can't quite figure it out, but knows that it's happening. That's that magic moment. And I saw that happening in front of me going, okay, this is something that we can use here. This is something that's inspiring me. What could be done here? But this is a design tool. And from there on, I was more than anything else, just intrigued. And because I haven't stopped being intrigued, I'm a lighting designer. (laughs) That's really how I got here. (laughs) You know, I think there's something to be said about being intrigued about something and following it, letting it become your basis of education. And for you, it's become an amazing career and afforded you the opportunity to not only learn about light, design with light, but teach others about light. You and I had the chance to catch up a little bit earlier this year, and we were talking about light is everywhere. 
And this is just like the most obvious trivial statement to you and I and to probably every single person listening to this podcast. But at the same time, we've got to unpack this idea of the fact that light is everywhere. Let's talk just a little bit about what light does for us as human beings in design, in the public spaces, and in the arts. Share a little bit with me there. I love this conversation. And I teach an intro for lighting for interior designers at the BAC. And when we have our introductory course, you know, the kids are always thinking they're coming in learning about science, really. And they're thinking they're learning about codes and math. And then we have the first conversation about where light intersects their life. And we just start picking that apart. And what people bring to the table in that first conversation is another instance of magic where their eyes open up and they go, oh, my God oh, I have a relationship with this ethereal thing that I had no idea. And they're going, oh, and they're exploring it and going, oh, it's there too. It's there too. It's there too. It's such a subconscious thing. We don't even notice it. But then when you start pointing it out, you start pointing out that your body notices shadows, your body notices its circadian rhythms. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, I do too. And then when you start talking about the, you know, 76, I think 76 to 90% of our experience for sighted people is coming through our eyes. Light is the filter for all of that. Light and shadow, light and color, light and contrast and intensity and all these other pieces that literally make up 76 to 90% of our life. And so it does get tuned into the background. We forget that it's there until someone reminds us that, I mean, you literally, you cannot fight your biology. Your eye will see the brightest thing in the room. And when you talk to a designer about how that can become a tool and how you can then shape somebody's experience as they walk into a space and understand all that thought you put into the architecture, the materiality or whatever it was because of the biology, because of the science that your eye evolved to protect you. It evolved to see motion and flight so you could run away from something that might get you. And now as people that aren't gotten by most things in nature these days, our eyes kind of are doing that as a background thing for us. But we need that and we, we you sort of incorporate that into our daily lives so subconsciously that when you do pull it out for people to kind of look at, you go, oh my God, it is everywhere and just doing so much for us at all times. We just forget. You know, you said something interesting in the first remark you made, which is it's 90% of our experience with our visual system to the tune that we never even think about the fact. Like from the day we're born, from the day we're a little kid, from the day we start crawling around to growing up, to being adults, to going to our first concert and remembering that like immersive experience of lasers and lights and everything else. Nobody ever thinks about maybe the light. Rather, they just think about the experience or the opportunity that they're, they're being afforded. Why do you think that light has been set up in such a sense that it is just part of the experience, yet without it, the experience essentially doesn't exist? Well, you just define the nature of the electromagnetic spectrum, right? You can't see it. You can only experience the effects. You don't see any of light. It's all invisible. You only see it when it interacts and reflects with something else. And I think that's the, the role it's taken in our life too. But when you start to look for it, you will see it everywhere. I mean, consider our vocabulary, consider our language. When you start to go, okay, well, I'm going to play a game with myself. And this is what I challenge my students to do. Listen to a couple songs, your favorite ones. If it happens to be around Christmas time, good luck with you. But Every song has this reference to light. Not every song, but you'll start hearing it everywhere. I mean, I recently was looking at the lyrics of the Star Spangled Banner. And first of all, the word spangled, if you look that up, I'm kind of surprised spangled hasn't 
taken off. You know, why is bedazzled such a big deal? It's spangled, isn't it? You know, but spangled literally means like covered in glittery objects. And it, so right from the get-go, our nation's song is all about this idea about light. And when you look, almost every line of that song has a reference to light. And it's, of course, about other things, war and, and triumph and hope and bravery and a bunch of other things. But all of those are characterized by different elements and facets of light and dark and shadow. You know, even one of them is the word night, but the ideas imbued in the word night are all about the absence of light, right? So it is everywhere. And when you start to pick apart your favorite songs, you're like, oh, oh, that word has glitter in it. You know, when you think about treasure, when you think about glittering gems, it's all about the word glitter. You know what that means because of a experience that evokes in you. You know, and so to your point, it's not about light, it's about experience. And I think that's why lighting designers, you know, play such a cool role because they can help translate experience by tapping into this subconscious thing that people don't even know is there and drawing it out. And then we call it lighting design, but really it's experiential design. The fact that lighting is subconscious, yet as you've clearly stated here, it surrounds us. It's a part of our lives. It creates inspiration in other art forms to to the tune of literally the Star Spangled Banner. Why do you think that light has made such a profound impact on so many people slash everybody, yet the, the practice and profession of how to shape light outside of like maybe just like a total entertainment venue is something that people just don't think twice about? I mean, if it's everywhere, why don't we think more about it? Or is that the problem? It's just everywhere. Well, as humans, we're evolving. And so I think we're seeing this spectrum of people that have appreciated and not appreciated sort of the depth of their experience on earth, right? What things do you think twice about? I think the more thoughtful, the more contemplative we get about it, the more exciting light becomes. But just like everything else, it's around us all the time, you know, just like air, just like breathing. It's an autonomous thing that happens. But when you really start to think about how amazing it is that it happens in the background, I mean, that's why meditation is the entrance of the Tao, right? I mean, that's the whole secret. And I think light is on that level, you know, that when you really start to think, I mean, we're beings of light. How many metaphors are there about literally light and life? It is our sustaining property more than anything else. And so when it becomes that important, I think it has an easy way of just becoming in the background. And you have to get to that meta level to recognize it again. We got to go deep, right? We got to meditate. <laughs> we got to go meta, meta. We got to get to that meta level. Let's talk a little bit more about how light literally is everywhere and uh, start to uncover the obvious yet not so obvious. You mentioned the Star Spangled Banner. You mentioned lyrics in music. Where else is light present? Well, let's start really easy. When I'm talking to clients about lighting design, and they kind of don't understand what it is I'm going to do for them. And we talk about mood and we talk about experience. I like to use the example of the slide or rotary dimmer that they have in their dining room. Because they know that when they turn that dial, they are creating a mood and experience. When they are lighting a candle and trying to create romance and they turn that dial down, it is an intentional design move to imbue experience by changing nothing except the lighting condition. And people go all the time, oh, yeah, I am a lighting designer. I'm designing romance with that move. And when you start to say, well, why does that happen? Okay, well, because of our experiences that we've had in our past, those moments that we've been having, like you said, since we were born, we are cataloging experiences and our brains are protecting us by 
telling our ego what that means for us and how we can do things. All of that is coming. Well, all 76 to 90% of that is coming through our eyes and through the light filter, right? So it's impossible for us to not recall those experiences and also have the lighting that was a part of them, which is why further on down the road, when we have uplight in a church, this feeling of uplight starts to, you know, you get this catalog of experiences that when you saw those uplights other times, your eyes traveled up and you had this uplifting feeling. And ultimately you get this feeling of hope. You get this feeling of something else, inspiration. That's happening subconsciously. It's the same thing with when you switch to the traffic light example, where we have cataloged color with light and intensity. And when we see the light change and that color change, it indicates something in our brain that says, you need to know something. And subconsciously, our foot will press the gas. Subconsciously, we know green means go. That is all about the wavelength and the application of the story, repeated, repeated, repeated. But that is a design tool as well, because then when you bring in green light and it's dynamic and changing in a design application, then you may be able to replicate that exact same thing that now somebody feels accelerated. Somebody wants to move because you're tapping into that. But it's everywhere. I mean, everything starts with the safety element, of course, right? We have to be able to see for function, but then it goes and scales, right? We get to the point where we're saying, remember your first concert. And you probably do remember that it was full of people and there was probably music because it was a concert. But who doesn't probably think of the lighting conditions? I am a lighting nerd, self-proclaimed. I guess I have a degree behind it too, right? I will never, ever forget being at the Electric Daisy Carnival in Las Vegas, Nevada when I was 22 years old. It was 3.30 in the morning. I'd had 14 Bud Lights. Only God knows what was going on. and they just shot off fireworks for like an hour and a half. And there was like a field of lasers that created a floor above me. And I was standing there just looking up into the sky. And I was like, what is going on? And I could pull out a pen and a piece of paper and I could draw that moment. 11 years later, I think the way I could have drawn it the next morning, the way I'll be able to draw it 40 years from now, because It was all this light that was making that experience, that was cementing that experience in my mind, in my memory. And it is just truly fascinating that when you have light in a space and it's intentionally placed or it's intentionally set at a level, whether or not that's considered design, whether or not that's somebody putting that there, you doing it yourself, it invokes a way we feel, which I think leads almost to the most important thing that we in the lighting community have found is light stimulates us in a way that can actually literally affect us, our health, the circadian stimulus. I mean, this is something we know, I'm just going to say it, we don't know anything about it compared to what we're going to learn about it over all of our lifetimes, right? We're just kind of getting started with this and everybody's trying to rush to a conclusion. Everybody's trying to say, Use tunable white. Everybody's trying to say use circadian light. The lighting community's battling with the medical community and everybody's trying to like make claims and everything else. But at the end of the day, everybody needs to take a step back and we need to say, hey, light makes us feel a certain way. Light creates a certain emotion and light creates an experience. So why don't we focus on that and go from there? You have really just set up why 
I think lighting designers are in a really cool prepositioned place right now because of what you just said. All of the technology already points at it. The outcomes that we're seeing point at this idea that we already know, of course, that lighting evokes emotion, right? And can create an experience and can literally stimulate us, like you said, on both an emotional level as well as a physiological level. I think the fact that the science is emerging to prove some of these pieces and to give us more tools to become healthier people, let alone healthier designers and help us solve our clients' challenges, is a really exciting, powerful place to be as a person that helps design spaces for people. And so appreciating, to me, it's more about daylight than it is about any of the sort of technology-driven circadian sort of systems that we're seeing right now. And appreciating why the daylight piece is there and how do we get more daylight into our buildings and how does the electric lighting bring about some of the other outcomes that are really positive. But all of these things point towards a relationship with yourself and a relationship with nature. And all of it comes back to this relationship with the sun and our circadian rhythm and the natural process of a human life, which is such a broad thing right now. Talk about going meta, like what is natural in today's day and age? But what really is natural is this normal daylight cycle, this diurnal cycle that our bodies perform really well when we respect it and when we start to get to understand it. And then when we expand that to what it might mean for electric lighting systems, and we spend so much of our time, 90% indoors, right? How can those pieces of the human experience also be augmented and lifted you know, by what we know about nature? I mean, that is such a powerful thing from a design standpoint and from a sustainability standpoint and from a place where we're really putting people at the center of the spaces we're thinking about. Putting people at the center of the spaces, putting people first, it seems trivial. But at the end of the day, we've got to open our eyes. We've got to have a visual experience. I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's dive into that visual experience a little bit more. Let's talk about people. And let's talk about what we as a community can do from sales to design to manufacturing to help create more awareness about the natural presence of light. Sound good? Sounds good. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, this podcast is sponsored by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. Check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Sarah and I were talking just a little bit more about how light really is everywhere. There's an awareness that we as humans have for it, but we don't really talk about it outside of maybe the practice and profession of lighting design or, you know, when we're reflecting on a concert the next morning. Sarah, talk to me just a little bit more about what we as a community can do both individually and collectively to really raise awareness about light and lighting in general. There is so much we can be doing. You know, this is a, you're about to unleash the beast. I mean, I'm a big proponent of being as outspoken as we can be with our platforms, right? And I think, you know, I said it a little bit earlier that lighting is, you know, in in a position to pivot. And I think the pivot will be going external. And my experience, you know, speaking internally, for example, to an AE firm and explaining the value of light and building a practice. And we got there, but but now it's about talking bigger and getting other people to see it. You know, when, you, when you're going to buy a Jeep or something, all of a sudden you start seeing Jeeps everywhere. As soon as you want one, yes. you know, everywhere you go, you start yes. to see it. 
So lighting designers already see light everywhere, right? But we're, it's our job to be the standard bearer and point it out to other people, right? And then they start to go, oh my God, I see it there too. And I see it here. The other thing, I actually, for myself, started taking a, a light journal where I just take photos of moments that were like, wow, look at that shadow or look at that way that light is dancing on that wall or look at that reflection. It started initially for things that I wanted to show to my students, but then I, it was such an inspirational thing for me to just do and then scroll through the photos and be like, wow, look at these little things that caught my attention. You know, and I think it's our job as lighting designers to maximize that for others and show them their connectivity to their world and open up that sort of eye of magic to everyone else. There's so many ways that we can do this. And one of them that's really hot right now that I think the lighting design community could do so much good is in sort of the mindful material space and material health space. We, as a, I think as a group, I think have been, we probably talk, you know, sort of in an insular way to each other quite a bit between lighting designers and lighting reps and lighting manufacturers, et cetera. It's a small group, yeah, you know? Yeah, because it's a small group and we love each other and we love lighting. Exactly. And who doesn't want to be in a room with people that like what you like? Exactly. And one other thing that I think we all like is like sustainability and having clean air and having an environment that we're going to be able to pass on to the next generation. And lighting designers have an opportunity to talk about this important piece right now and talk to the manufacturers about why it's important to them and actually indicate a huge wave of change by saying, no red list materials. Let's do that. You know, that's a possibility. What's a red list material? Bad stuff for human health, cancer causing, million other things that probably point to the same end result of unaligned physiological systems. And there's a lot of science behind why something may or may not be on the red list, but someone's already doing the heavy lifting and saying, if you've got these materials in your product, you probably don't want to put it near people. So let's make sure that our clients understand what those products are and, and which ones are doing the right things and which ones are doing the wrong things. I mean, lighting designers have, if they choose to use it, quite a lot of sway if they talk at the right time to the right people. And clients can be a big one. And if you can open a client's eyes about what quality lighting means for them, what it could mean for their mission, for their people, you can really start to tap into not just sort of the triple bottom line conversation, but also a brand conversation, potentially a succession conversation about what it means for them over time, a sustainability conversation for sure, diversity, equity, inclusion. There's so many different ways we can talk about how light and human health and productivity and wellness impact business. And I think people are getting really savvy to that. And again, these things like great lighting, daylight can improve your bottom line is going to be a huge deal for business and for the architectural community in general. If lighting designers choose to be a part of that and choose to be the leaders in terms of putting really good, thoughtful design at the forefront, we're going to make healthier buildings, healthier communities, and healthier people. And that's really exciting to be a part of. Now, I've got to go back real quick because you said getting in front of a client is really powerful, like beyond anybody in the design community, the person who's, so to speak, writing the checks, the person who's, so to speak, going to put people in the space you're designing for. You said if you can pipe up at the right time or, or if you can address them in the correct moment, you can really have a lot of sway and a lot of impact. I'd love to hear just a little bit from you about that. Is there, when you do that, do you have 10 minutes? Do you have five minutes? Do you have 30 seconds? Like, What in Sarah's mind is the most important thing 
you can just, you know, quickly say that relates to them. That doesn't, hey, millennials, let me walk through the calculations, the color rendering, blah, 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 so on and so forth. You know what I mean? They'll glaze over before you even get started. How do you engage them in a quick moment to really persuade for the better? That is a, that's a challenge. And clients are uh, people first. So I always just try to make that human connection. And usually I go to is that conversation about turning the dial because everybody has a dimmer at home and everybody understands that moment. And so when I can tell them that's my job is I'm creating those moments for you. And I'm not going to probably create moments everywhere. You might not have the special moment in the bathroom. You know, you might depends on if you want the special moment in the bathroom, you know, but probably those special moments are going to be things like your entrance where you're making your first impression, right? And places where your people are spending the most dwell time, where you want to make sure that you can make this feeling that they're cared for, that they're supported or they're being productive or whatever the, the case may be. So my job is to help cultivate those moments. And I'm going to work with these folks that you've already assembled. And I fit in these different ways. And I try to explain to them that I'm going to kind of manage for them both the technical things that they care a lot about, as well as those emotional pieces that if we can tap into the human aspect of them real quick and get that yeah, you know what I'm talking about when we dim the lights, right? We can kind of make sure that they understand that there's a valued piece there. It's a lot easier when you're working with an architecture firm and get there at the table early. And there's so many games played with cost and other things in our market that it really helps to be savvy to those things and really helps to be having good conversations with distributors and with cost estimators early enough that you can have impactful conversations. Uh, I'm hoping that little, that tide is going to change a little bit as the awareness of why lighting is important. I think that the VE power of it will hopefully go down. But that's where I think that we've got some work to do as a community, Sam. And that's where I think, you know, groups like yours can really help raise the awareness because it would be nice if clients weren't hearing about lighting for the first time through somebody with me. And this awareness was already sort of brought to their attention in different ways. And, you know, you and I could spitball about all different things that we could do in that. But how about just a you know deep dive on the, on the Star Spangled Banner, you and I, and break it down with light, you know, but like where it is and how totally. it is all the time. I think that, you know, our groups and our industry groups, for example, I'm highly involved with the DLF here in New England. And one of the things we've been talking about is how do we get outside the design circle and outside into the client world and talk to them more about what this means for them. Talk to them more about what our profession can be doing, not to the contractors and to the architects and to the engineers, but to the clients. Because I think the more they understand what we do and, and how we can support them, the better the profession will be. So now that we formed, I think we need to start storming and really get a message out there, out of the lighting bubble and into the world. The lighting bubble is small, so to speak. Small, but iridescent. Yeah. <laughs> small, but iridescent. It's a huge business. Oh, yeah. Right. When we take lighting and we quantify it past everybody's jobs and we start to put dollars and cents behind it there's billions of dollars right there's to the tune of like 40 billion dollars worth of opportunity in lighting every year so to speak globally one lighting designer can't change the world one video can't change the world right one nonprofit one manufacturer can't change the world but together we can all start to focus on the power of light it's cliche. It's corny. I feel like it's all we do in the lighting community. It's like we talk about, hey, the power of light. It's so amazing. Like, let's talk about it. Let's get excited about it. But, you know, how can people from the strip light, linear lighting manufacturers to agents and reps to designers to, to the nonprofits out there, what can they do to not only serve their immediate needs and 
and customers and, and you know fulfill the the requirements of running a business but what can they do to try and just if we all started to say hey here's how we're going to look outside of the lighting world to quote normal people or people that don't intrinsically think about light what could everybody do tomorrow that would just boom raise awareness great question you know i think I think talking is the easy one and pointing things out and show and tell, showing where it's occurring in our lives, for sure. You know, you and I were chatting about when next time you go out for dinner, I mean, it happens with lighting designers. I don't know how many times people have to, my wife has to hold my elbow when I walk into most places just in case there's stairs because I'm always looking up and sitting down. <laughs> yeah, because you're looking straight up at the ceiling going, hey, Chantel, did you see the lights? You know, but so sometimes if you verbalize yeah. that, you know, especially, you know, I'm walking in somewhere with a client or with a colleague. I will always talk about the lighting. It's actually something I can't turn off, but by nature of that, by not turning it off, other people usually get inspired by that too. It's like, ah, you see things in a different way, don't you? And then when I start pointing out the way I see it, somebody will then send me something like, oh, remember how we talked about that? And then they send me something, you know, a week or two later that kind of is on the theme and maybe they're thinking about it too. So of course, just good old fashioned discussing what you're thinking about is a good thing. But some organization in the industry, let's get some brand strategy going. I love what LightEye is doing because it literally is the storytelling piece. I think finding ways to get those stories, again, into the hands of the public. Where's the Super Bowl commercial about light? Yeah. Where where could our fundraising for the ILD Education Trust go if we decided to do, I don't know much about marketing, but geomapping with different things, you know, for kids that want to go into lighting design as an incredibly inspiring profession for that bandwidth of kids that are both left and right brained. And Lord knows we are not touching the vast majority of all of the amazing ideas that could be coming from our diverse populations. You know, it's like how many black and brown kids know that lighting design is a profession? When we're when you look around the lighting community, you can tell that we're not reaching them. So what could we be doing differently there to stimulate the pipeline? What could we be doing differently to elevate some of the most amazing, diverse lighting designers and show others that they are people that they could be just like, that are like them. You know, what could we be doing to really move the needle in that space? I mean, the real question is, what can we do to make everybody, no matter who they are, what they believe in, that they get up and light comes up every day, the sun comes up and light makes a difference. And there's an entire career, industry, and profession, whether or not you want to be a coder, a salesperson, a designer, you want to be somebody who's pounding nails, you want to be somebody who's innovating. I mean, every single form facet or trade in terms of a profession is available in the lighting industry. It is a weird Venn diagram that overlaps in so many ways. And I can't tell you how many different times I've been to a talk or to a panel or whatever, and people talk about how they get into lighting. And it's never a straight shot. It's never, never a straight shot. Never, but it never, is always never, never. this ridiculous disease that you cannot rid yourself of either. And you may twist and morph into a different version of it, but somehow lighting doesn't let go. And that's what happened with me. I had no desire to be a lighting designer when I first you know, went to Penn State, but here I am and I have no desire to not be at this point, you know, because of exactly what you said, the industry is changing. We're going into data. We're going into asset management. We're going into the intrinsic measurement of small things like your melatonin levels in your blood and how that helps you sleep at night. That is a crazy spectrum of things to be thinking about from a professional standpoint. I think people don't leave lighting for one reason. 
It's because once you start to learn about it, you realize how amazing it is. It's a wormhole. And you realize, and you, yeah, but you also realize there's so much opportunity in this industry. There's so much opportunity for light to make a difference. The lighting industry collectively has done nothing but grow for 50 years, right? I mean, look at the number of lighting designers that existed 50 years ago compared to today. Look at the number of lighting manufacturers that existed 50 years ago compared to today. Look at the number of form factors of luminaires that were designed 50 years ago compared to today. Lighting is growing. Lighting has such an amazing opportunity. And the reason people don't leave it is because it's profitable. It's because it is a real opportunity to change the way the world experiences what we live in. Powerful stuff. I've got to just ask, Sarah, you're sitting in, uh, what do we call it? The big A, little E, right? You're in a big architecture firm with a little engineering group. You've got nine people in a lighting design studio coast to coast. I'm sure that you've made some progress. I'm sure that you've taught a lot of people that have never thought about the impact light makes in your community, how much of an impact it makes. What else are you doing on a personal level, on a professional level within your organization to spark this off? Well, that's my job every day, you know, and I feel like a head scratcher sometimes, honestly, Sam, especially after everything we talked about that when you're like, how do people not know about this amazing thing? But the truth is your eyes don't open until somebody helps you open them, right? And so I try to spend a lot of my time bringing people to the light, as it were, and talking to them about what it could mean, both for for them, for their client, for however we're trying to apply it. What I'm hoping is going to happen within my organization, and I think within the the, uh, sort of New England community, is putting a stake towards metrics, putting a stake towards being able to help contribute to the actual hard science of what's going on in our industry, getting some tools in the hands of designers like cost per square foot databasing and DN pricing and things like that. So we can stop playing games of cost and we can really be driving value. So if you ask my team what I spend most of the time doing, it's really boring stuff, like making sure that we're looking at the nuts and bolts of everything and looking at quality and looking at making sure that we can really stand behind the products that we're specifying and the sort of the business practices of those as well. And then talking about that as much as possible, because I think people need to be encouraged to be brave sometimes and to speak out if they feel something's a little off. And I think when lighting designers touch so much of what happens in a building and so many of the groups that put those pieces together, we actually have an obligation and a real opportunity, I think, to bring some important topics up. And I think I've been challenged personally to find my voice in that. And I think my team is learning to find theirs too. And I think what's really important when we talk about integrity, when we talk about putting the needs of others first, when we talk about balancing competing needs like cost and function or cost and quality or many other different things that you could pivot against cost, it's important to get the talking points about why we do what we do and why we spend so much time thinking about the quality and the experience only to then say, we're going to sacrifice it for cost or for time or for X, Y, Z. So I think as an industry, getting our choreography right, getting our talking points right, and getting our timing right about when we sit at the table is a long-term plan to make sure that we, we get what we want at the end. But 
right now, there's a lot of assembly that we can be doing as a group and sharing of information as a group to talk about how we can advance as a practice. So what I try really hard to do personally is get involved in those conversations. So DLF, IES, ILD, and those industry groups. But what I'm really excited about is the cross-pollination of bigger ones. So IIDA, BSA in my neck of the woods and starting to get some cross-pollination between those groups. For example, I spoke on an ABX panel last year about specification integrity. I learned more on that panel than probably the last three years of my career. And it it literally told me, pick up the phone and talk to the other people that you're going to work with, which is a life lesson that I probably should have learned when I was about 10, you know, to pick up the phone and make the phone call and, and talk to the person that you need to talk to. I think shortening those lines of communication and getting to the table and, and not being afraid to do your part of the job and knowing what your part of the job is inside and out is our road to hoe right now. And lighting is still something that can be easily marginalized by being basically desequencing us and putting us in the wrong place in time. Yeah. And I think it's only a matter of time before lighting designers figure out a way to get in early with the right information. And I think that's going to help us make the impact we all really want to make on every job. Making the impact is what it's all about. And as I've listened to you today, there's one thing that I think I've reflected on and it's kind of come to my mind. And it is, you are a designer, Sarah, and there are so many people out there who are lighting designers. And then you speak with clients who are architects who are also designers. But at the end of the day, design is the practice of creating an experience. And the experience could simply never be seen without light. So why don't you pay attention to the thing that enables you to experience everything in life, light. Sarah, this has been an incredible conversation. I feel like we've got to keep it going, but I feel like we've got to get on with our days too. What's the easiest, most convenient, fun, fast way for people to find Sarah and get in touch with you if they want to continue this conversation? They can easily email me. You can find my email on the website where it's S and Sarah Schoenauer at canondesign.com. I'm going to make you spell your last name for everybody. S-S-C-H-O-N-O-U-R. At canondesign.com. At canondesign.com. Two N's in canon. Sarah does live in New England, but she's responsible for the lighting group, which does run across the country. Sarah, thanks so much for this conversation. Stay in touch. We'll talk to you soon. See you. Thanks, Sam. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick. If you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor. Head back to the platform that you listen to and click like or subscribe. That's the best way to never miss an episode of The Light Pod, where we interview people who are all things lighting, building technology, curious about the future, and honestly, just have fun stories to tell. Until then, see ya.